0: Amen. How blessed we are that Jesus came. He didn't leave us alone in our sin and uh, trying to figure out something that can't be figured out on our own. And uh, he did what only he can do and we worship and praise him for it. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to Matthew chapter number one. The gospel of Matthew chapter number one. will begin here in verse number 18. <clears throat> to see lena home as well from maryland it's getting some warm weather and escaping probably a little bit of snow or maybe even a lot of snow at this particular point in time and uh, one of the favorite places that we uh that we ever lived was in and up in the mountains of maryland for our first few years that we were married and a beautiful part of the country we love being able to go to our nation's capital and uh, take in sights and and scenes and and uh, just to re- reflect, reflect upon and enjoy the history of our nation uh, and that's important for us to do and for us to understand today. And uh, so many don't know our true history. And so it's so distorted by the culture today. And uh, it's important that we know where we come from. If you don't know where you came from, uh, then you lose your identity when you get to where you're trying to go. And so uh, be mindful. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 1 and beginning in verse number 18, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found of child with the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, And took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. I want to speak this morning on this week leading into Christmas on this thought, the birth of our Savior. Father, thank you for the time that we have together again this morning. What a blessing it is that we can assemble. And Lord, we have such freedom. Uh, Lord, we have such opportunity. May we not only enjoy it, but may we use it for your honor and glory. Lord, I pray this morning as we open your word that our hearts would be open. Lord, these times uh, that we live in are discouraging at times. They're fraught with uh, with adversity and animosity many times. Lord, certainly at the very least, we would look at this wonderful time of the year and find often that it's so much busier than the rest of our year. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you'd help us in the midst of the busyness to not forget what we celebrate, who we celebrate and why we worship. What I pray that you would help us to reflect this morning. May we cast aside our burdens. May we cast aside the clutter that occupies and fills our minds and hearts. May we open ourselves to you. And Lord, may you speak to us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, to some today, the birth of Jesus is not something that they look forward to or that they enjoy or celebrate. To some, it is reviled. There are many out there today who condemn what we celebrate during this time of the year. I even heard this year, I think uh, it's not uncommon, uh, you know, to see Christmas hyphenated or x or to try to removal of Christ or uh, and culture wars, just down talking Christianity and the birth of Christ and uh, all of those things. But this year I actually saw... Uh, somewhere where the whole emphasis wasn't even about Christmas or Hanukkah or uh, any of the other religious aspects of holiday, but it was all about the winter solstice. It was a worship uh, of the winter solstice. And that, that, those types of things are going to become more and more regular as the years advance. That's just the course that we're on. And don't fret about that if you're a child of God. We understand that he wants to come back and receive his bride to himself. And in order for that to take place, there are things that have to be fulfilled. Uh, And uh, really, uh, a lot of times we look and we look at the the way that things are going to get more difficult and think, I don't want to live through that. But yet at the same time, what an exciting time to live. Uh, To see scripture come alive and to be fulfilled and to be a part of that uh, and to know that God is at work and no matter what goes on in the world around us we can all rest assured that God is in control and God is working to achieve his will and his purpose in his creation and in the individual lives of those uh, that are searching for him and that put their trust in him. But the reality is this morning is that not everyone is excited about Christmas. I love Christmas. I love it. It's my favorite time of the year. I look forward with great anticipation to uh, the fall. Uh, and so I used to get to look forward to that anticipation about the early part of September. Uh, and then the Lord moved us from uh, Maryland and the Chicago and Maryland down into Tennessee. And uh, we got to start looking forward to that about the end of September. Uh, now we look forward to that hopefully next month or so. Uh, and so uh we'll get some cooler weather uh and so i know it's just kind of up and down and so we've had a little bit and but praise the lord i love the the season changes i love the time of the year uh, and i think that most people would attest that they do too we look forward to getting together with friends and family we look forward to a little bit of extended time uh, away from work at different seasons of uh, these few weeks and this week and next week in particular uh, but not everyone shares that love of season not everyone shares that love of Christ. Not everyone appreciates what God has given and done for us. And by the way, uh, that's not just true of those that do not know Christ as their Savior. There are many today that would name Jesus as their Savior that simply do not appreciate in their day-to-day life what God has given us. And so, as we look at this this morning, uh, I just want to remind us of some things. You know, it's it's a difficult... Uh, I've never been... I love Christmas, I I don't particularly enjoy holiday preaching. Not, not other people's preaching, but just the stress and the work and preparation, because everyone, face it, every time you come here, you expect to hear something different, and some of you expect to hear something new, and some of you, if you don't hear anything that you've never heard before, just kind of wring your hands up, well, I'm not impressed with that, and so uh, what's he been up to all week, and so, but then you get to the holidays, and you're really kind of laser-focused but yet restricted, uh, there's not anything new that I can say this morning uh, that most of you haven't heard before. You know, there's a few people in here that are young enough uh, that I may say something that uh, is a, a new a new look at something or a new idea about something, but most of us in here are old enough uh, that I, you know, unless I start making things up, I'm not going to be able to come up with anything new. I quit trying to do that a long time ago. I, I find that <clears throat> most of us, what we really need is not something new because we're not living what we already know. We just need to be reminded of what we know and we need to be shown and and encouraged to put what we know into practice that God might be able to uh, reveal to us some of those, you know, new things that we want to see. And we'll look at the scripture in a little bit. But if you want to get to a place where God is revealing to you and the Holy Spirit is revealing to you the deep things of God, then we've got to act upon what we already know now. Uh, and so, as we look this morning, I, I'm not uh, attempting in any way to do anything other than just remind us, really, of the obvious. Uh, to just look at some things that uh, that we should be uh, mindful of uh, as we go through this season uh, season of the year. You know, to some, uh, Christmas is just. Uh, a waste to others. It's a great holiday, but they don't practice anything about Christ in it. They just enjoy uh, the the gatherings and uh, the parties, the the celebrating of a new year coming on, uh, and they just all they know is just a secular spin on uh, the holidays. We we don't suffer from that. We know the real reason of Christmas. We know the real Savior. We know what he came to do. We know what's possible when God works in our life. And so uh, as we look at this, this should be in the life of every Christian the most sacred time of the year. So Pastor, what about, what about Easter? What about the crucifixion and the resurrection? And, and that's wonderful. And we get excited about that. But we don't decorate our house for a month and a half for that. We decorate our house for a month and a half. If you're Miss Joanna, you decorate in July for Christmas and December. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if you, some people love it more than others, and, uh, but we celebrate for a much longer period of time, generally from Thanksgiving through uh, the new year. So we take about six weeks or so and we just uh, relish. In, and the reason that we do that at Christmas is because if Christmas had not happened, Easter would not have been possible. Amen. Hey, he had to get here before he could die for us. He had to walk amongst us before he could be tempted uh, with the temptations, our temptations, and the feelings of our infirmities as we are. Uh, And so uh, there had to be a catalyst, a beginning, something that set in motion the plan that God has for mankind and redeeming mankind. And that all begins with an angel's visit to uh, a young Mary who just finds herself going through her normal everyday life. She has no reason to believe that she's special. She has no reason to believe that she's significant. She has no reason to expect That Jesus is coming now or that Jesus is uh, going to, that she's going to be the one selected uh, not only to carry him and deliver him but to rear him, to to train him and to love him uh, and to set him on the course of life. Now we realize that he's not just man but God uh, but still she was the one that God entrusted him into her care. What an amazing incredible responsibility. But she was chosen because she was faithful. She was chosen because she had no expectation. She was chosen because she simply was being a faithful believer and Christian as, as they would practice this and what they knew. And I realize it wasn't actually Christianity at this time. Uh, but the, she was practicing her faith faithfully, the best way that she knew how, sincerely serving God, making sacrifices, and not just being a hearer, but a doer of the word and God because of that selected her. It is a special time of year. We find us uh, as Christians that this should be a time of the year that we come and rejoice. This shouldn't be a time and I and I understand too that that holiday seasons are particularly depressing for some. But for the Christian this should be a time in which we rejoice. And even if we've had a difficult year, even if we've gone through hard times, even if we're suffering from disease, one thing that we should be able to do when we look and focus on the birth of Christ is say, no matter what else is happening, I can rejoice in the fact that Jesus came to earth, put on human flesh, walked amongst us, became my sin, died on the cross, rose from the grave and set me free. And because of that, I can come into his presence. Because of that, uh, I have the hope that one day uh, I will be delivered from all that ails me in this life. And I will have everything new. I will know as I am known. And I will walk and live in the presence of Almighty God. Listen, that's something to rejoice about. If your bank account's low, rejoice in the fact that one day you'll be rich. If you're unhealthy, rejoice in the fact that one day you'll have better health than you've ever had. If you're sad, rejoice in the fact that one day all the tears will be wiped away and you'll come into the presence of the one that came to a manger so long ago. Listen, this is a time of rejoicing rejoice in the one that gave everything for you rejoice in the one that loves us so much that he put on that human flesh rejoice in the hope that we have of heaven rejoice in the opportunity that we have to make a difference in the lives of others along the way he didn't just say okay I've blessed you you found me I've saved you from your sin now just wait until it's time for you to check out and come on to heaven no he's put us in a place where we can make a difference in the lives of others where he can use our lives to help Show others how to find this Christ. It's a time of rejoicing. Not only is it a time of rejoicing, but it should be a time of reflection. I talk about this and I mention this at this time of the year frequently. So for most of you, especially if you've been here anytime, this isn't anything that you haven't heard before. But there's just something about this time of the year that makes me automatically go into a mode of reflection and renewal. It's a time to evaluate. It's a time to uh, look and and evaluate where we came from and what we are trying to accomplish in a new year. Uh, It's a time of reflection. How's my walk with God? How have I served him this year? Have I grown this year? Have I progressed or have I regressed in my worship, and my service, and my impact for the cause of Christ and the culture around me? Uh, where am I in the great ske- grand scheme of things? I need to be reflecting on where I am. If you don't take some time to reflect on your relationships and the relationships in your life, then your relationships will degenerate. That's just natural. It doesn't matter what the relationship is, by the way. If you, It doesn't matter if it's a, a relationship between spouses. It doesn't matter if it's between parent and children, children and parent. It doesn't matter if it's a, amongst employer, employee, uh, friends uh, at school or in the workplace or uh, for lifelong friends. None of it. Ma- if, if there's no, if there's never a time of reflection and there's never a time of renewal, then that will degenerate. I'm grateful for the times that uh, Sonia and I have to get away in just uh, about a month or so, maybe a month and a half, maybe about two months, I guess, we'll uh, celebrate our 32nd wedding anniversary. I can promise you that in 32 years of marriage, uh, or nearly 32 years of marriage, that there has to be times of renewal, that there has to be times of reflection. That you cannot continue to uh, happily live together, love one another, serve the Lord together, uh, try to make a difference in others' lives if you never take some time uh, to reflect and to renew your commitment to one another, your commitment to the Lord, and your commitment to what God has called you to do. Listen, this time of the year should be a time where we're rejoicing, absolutely, but it also should be a time of the Lord in which we're reflecting. And that reflection, if we have a heart for God, will automatically lead us to renewal. A reset, if you will. I have about three books that I read generally every year between December and uh, and mid-February. Every year, like clockwork, I, I pull them out. Uh, if I haven't loaned it to someone and lost it, in which case I've got to go to the store and buy another one, which I have to do this year, uh, and I can't remember who I who I loaned it to, uh, and so I've got to replace another another. I lose a lot of books that way, uh, and so I've got to replace a book, and I've got to go out and find one of my. It just helps me to refocus. It helps me to reflect. It helps me to hit resets in my life that keep my walk with God and my and my uh, my role as a spiritual leader in in a, on a track where it's healthy and where it's growing and where uh, God can speak to me so that God can speak to you. Now, I realize God speaks to all of us individually as well, but God wants to speak to us from this pulpit through his word, regardless of who's standing behind delivering the message. And if we come with hearts open, if we come rejoicing, we come renewed, we come reflecting, then God can do great things in our life. And so while the world seeks to destroy one more public example or celebration of Christianity on its trek and its path to paganism may we be those that embrace it may we realize that this is not a time uh, to be downcast but a time to rejoice and hope it is a time to be reminded of the greatness of the hour the greatness of our God. And so we're going to look at three primary things here this morning uh, when we see what God has proclaimed and what God has announced. Now in verse number 18 again, in chapter 1, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise as his mother, uh, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, uh, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. May I say this morning, first and foremost, that the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is a miraculous birth. It's not ordinary. There's not anything natural about it. There's not anything normal about it. There's not anything about it that did not take the supernatural act of God to make it happen. Say, Pastor, well, I don't understand how all this happened. I'm just telling you this morning that there are some things in this life that you will never understand until you get to heaven. Just learn to trust God, accept them by faith, and embrace them. How can I do that, pastor? I do that by knowing the word of God, by studying the word of God, by making application of the word of God to my life. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, so that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I go out and talk to someone this morning that's never heard the name of Jesus, that's never heard about Christianity, that's never heard about, uh, about heaven and hell and forgiveness and sin, uh, where, do I, where do I take them? How do I show them? How do I lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And the answer is I have to take them to the Bible. I have to take them to the word of God. I have to begin to show them what God has said. I have to begin to show them who God is. And something miraculous happens when you place someone whose dead spirit is in front of a living book and a living God. He begins to illuminate their eyes and their heart and their mind. And the more that they see, the more that they experience, and the more that history proves to have occurred that's written in its pages, the more confidence they gain and the more faith they develop until they finally come to a place where they can put their faith and trust in Christ, and Jesus does change their life as he changed our life. I'm saying this morning that this birth is a miraculous birth. It doesn't make sense. It can't be replicated in a lab. It's not something that anyone can understand or explain other than to say that the great God that spoke the world into existence is the same God that caused a virgin girl to conceive a child. Amen. Amen. And when we look at him and we understand the importance of this, I understand this morning that if Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, that he would not be qualified to forgive your sin. Amen. If he was not virgin born, he would not be an acceptable sacrifice. Without the miraculous, the miraculous in our life couldn't happen. Without his miraculous birth, there could be no miraculous second birth in our life. Why? Because spiritually, when we look in biblically, as we look, what we see is that God has set forth in his word that this is the way that things are going to be. In Isaiah chapter number seven, in verse number 14, the Bible says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, God being with us. In chapter 9 of Isaiah, in verse number 6, he tells them more about him in this great prophecy. When he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called counselor, uh, or shall be called wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's not just a baby that was born miraculously. He is God incarnate come to earth to walk amongst us to bear our sin and to pay our debt and that he might raise from the grave that he might set our souls at liberty. It is the birth that has been foretold. What made it so miraculous, Pastor? Well, besides the fact that it was a miraculous conception, it's the fact that it was miraculously foretold. You understand uh, that a minimum Of 400 years has passed. And somebody probably off the top of their head could tell me how many. I didn't go back and do the math and calculate Isaiah's writing to uh, the birth of Christ. But we know that there's a 400 year period of darkness between Malachi and Matthew. So for at least, at least 400 years and maybe uh, several hundred more, prior to that, God foretold the coming of Jesus. Over 300 prophecies were given concerning the coming of the Messiah and the birth of a Savior. Uh, and all of them, without exception, are fulfilled. You want to help someone get some faith? Start cataloging the things that God promised before they happened and show them how historically they came to pass. Amen. That the same God that has been trustworthy for all of these millennia is the same God that will be trustworthy worthy for many millennia more. Amen. That God has not failed and God will not fail. That this is a birth that was foretold. Not only was it a foretold birth, but it was an unnatural birth. There's nothing natural about it. She has been touched by God. A child conceived of the Holy Spirit. Why is that so important, pastor? Because if Jesus had an earthly father, then Jesus would have a sinful nature. Jesus doesn't have a sin nature. You have a sin nature. Don't worry, I have one too. My wife can testify to that. We all have a sinful nature. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's in our nature. It's what we naturally do. You don't have to train uh, an eagle to be an eagle. You don't have to train a dog to be a dog. You don't have to train a cat to be a cat. Uh, They do what their species do because it's in their DNA. And I'm just telling you this morning that in our spiritual DNA and our spiritual gene pool with a natural father, we have a sinful nature. Had Jesus had a natural father, he would have had that same sinful nature and his death, burial and resurrection would have paid for his sins only and not any of ours. What we come to understand this morning is that this birth had to be miraculous, but it also is a picture of the miraculous birth that's required uh, to bring us into the family of God. Don't listen to the world when they tell you that everybody out there is a child of God, that we're all God's children. We're not all God's children. The world is not all God's children. The world is all of God's creation. And He loves everyone in the world, but not everyone in His child. A child uh, childship or sonhood, sonship is a, is a position, and that position has to change. I have to go from being created to born. Nicodemus was told as he asked in John chapter 3 what must I do to have eternal life and Jesus said you must be born again and he said wait a minute you expect me to go back into my mother's womb those of you that know our oldest son David and my wife that sang this morning figure that make that work he's 6 foot 5 she's 4 foot 11 time's not going backwards some things just don't work But we must be born again. So what did he mean? He meant that I must place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the moment that I do, there is a miraculous birth that takes place in which I become not a creation of God, but a son of God. The beauty of that is that it makes me his son. What it demonstrates to me is that I can't be baptized to be saved on my way to heaven. I can't do enough good deeds to get to heaven. Uh, I can't, uh, I can't uh, you know, walk on water, perform miracles, uh, turn over enough new leaves uh, to do anything on my own to get to heaven. It's impossible for you and for me to do anything of our own accord that will cause our sins to be forgiven and for our position to be worthy of coming into the presence of an almighty God. That's right. Amen. But Jesus... When Jesus came, miraculously, he showed an unnatural birth. And I'm saying this morning that when God's grace found you, and when God's grace found me, and when the love of God reached out to me, and when he convinced me of the truth of his word and the power of his love, when he convicted me of my sin, and I turned to him and placed my faith in that grace, that God, by his grace, Saved me through my faith. And at that moment, I was born into the family of God. No one can ever change that. <clears throat> you can do a lot of things that might cause your mom and dad to say, I'm done with you. You could cause so much hurt in your family that they might say, you're no longer my child. You could get go on a murder spree, be put in prison, and live out your life they're executed, and they could say I no longer acknowledge you as my child but the fact of the matter is is that their blood is in your veins and no matter what you do or where you go or how corrupt you become or how evil you become you're still their child why because you were born to them listen there's a whole host of religions in this world that talk about how good you have to be and what you have to do to have eternal life I'm saying this morning that the bible teaches us very clearly that it's not about what we do, it's about what he's done. It's not about how good we are, it's about how good he is. It's not about how good I am, it's about what position do I hold. And the question that you need to answer this morning has: have I had a position change? Am I still just part of God's creation, which he loves, or am I God's child? You can't do anything to become God's child but place your faith and trust in his finished work on Calvary's cross. And I'm saying this morning that that is an unnatural birth. Jesus was born unnaturally. And if you want to spend eternity in heaven, you must be born unnaturally as well. It is a plan that only God could bring to pass. No one else could do this. No one else could dream this up. No one else has the power to act upon it. No one has, else has the power to speak to the heart of man or to change a life. And so we see that there are two things here primarily that are accomplished in his unnatural birth. The one is that it proves his deity. How does Jesus have this power? How is it that Jesus can do these things? It's because Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God in John 1.1. 1, 1. He is God. And when we look at Jesus, we understand that his unnatural birth proves his deity. And also it validates his plan. He's given this plan. And listen, if they had followed the plan, if they knew the word of God the way that they believed that they knew the word of God, and if they would have dismissed their prejudices and their preconceived ideas and looked at Jesus and studied where he came from instead of just saying uh, he's just some prophet out there and actually compared his life to the scriptures as the apostle Paul does from them and uh, for them and other places of the New Testament, they would understand that it was prophesied that he must be born in Bethlehem, that it was prophesied that he would come out of Egypt, that it was prophesied that he would be from Nazareth. All of those things are prophesied and they look at Jesus and they say, well, he's just from Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem. But when Herod, uh, when Herod threatened, he left that Joseph and Mary had to leave uh, Israel and take refuge in Egypt. And we could go over item after item, list after list, uh, prophecy after prophecy that was given to prove the deity of Christ and the plan of God, and they're all fulfilled. Without exception. God has a plan, and not only did God have a plan for the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, my friends, but God has a plan for you too. When we look and we understand that this is birth is a miraculous birth, we understand that it was foretold, that it was unnatural, and in being unnatural, it proved his deity, and it showed us and validated the plan that God has to reconcile mankind to himself. Secondly, we see not only is this a miraculous birth, but it's a marvelous birth. And we look and we uh, understand and uh, and we've spent a lot of time this Christmas season in Luke chapter 2 already uh, but it, it lays it out so well here in Luke chapter 2 in verse uh, in verse 9 and lo the angel of the Lord came upon them speaking of the shepherds and abiding in their field uh, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid and the angel said unto them fear not for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a which is called Christ the Lord. Listen, this is a marvelous birth. What's marvelous about it, Pastor? Well, the announcement's pretty marvelous. In Luke chapter one and verses twenty-six through thirty-three, the angel comes to Mary, and he tells Mary that she is favored among women, and that she is going to bear the Son of God, and that He is going to save His people. From their sins. Listen, uh, it is a marvelous announcement to Mary in uh, in Luke chapter one and verses twenty six to thirty three. It's also a marvelous announcement to Joseph, as we saw in our text this morning in Matthew chapter one and verses eighteen through twenty five. I don't know how you would respond if an angel came to you and said, "Hey, your uh, your uh, enge- your wife that you're betrothed, engaged to, that you're already in a legal contract for marriage to, is with child." But that's okay because. She's not been untrue or unfaithful to you in any way. She's been chosen by God. Believe that if you're Joseph. But yet the angel came. And Joseph believed. Joseph had faith. Joseph had confidence. Joseph was willing to make the sacrifice. You think about the sacrifice that Joseph had to make. We don't know how Joseph's life ended. We don't know when Joseph's life ended. We know that he lived at least 13 years because he was with, uh, with them and with Jesus and Mary when they came out whenever Jesus stayed behind. But beyond that, somewhere between then and presumably Calvary, he went home. He's not mentioned again. We don't know what happened, but we know this. That whenever the angel came and visited him and he accepted the word of the angel, it was a lifelong commitment for him. Amen. He was willing to make every sacrifice that was necessary to fulfill the will of God for Mary and for Jesus and for his life. This was a marvelous announcement to to Mary and to Joseph and it was also a marvelous announcement to the shepherds. Imagine being a shepherd just out there protecting your flock. Hopefully it's a nice Lazy night. They're just enjoying the stars and the cool breeze. Watching the sheep lay and sleep and keeping the wolves and, and whatever other predators might be coming around at bay. And an angel shows up. Makes this grand pronouncement. What a marvelous announcement. We love birth announcements in this social media age. Uh, all young families, it seems like, that are, uh, that are making, having children. and make. There's always a grand birth announcement some way. Uh, there's a lot of fanfare uh, and gender reveal parties and all kinds of things that go on that, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you'd have never even dreamed of. But how could you ever beat the announcement of an angel in the sky to a shepherds in the field? How could you ever outdo the proclamation to a young girl who's just faithfully serving her God? Understanding that you, you think for a moment... That Mary didn't understand what people's assumptions about her would be. Yet, she loved and served. It was a marvelous announcement. Not only was it a marvelous announcement; it's a marvelous arrival. In Luke chapter two and in verse number twelve, as they uh, look, as we look here, it says, "And this shall be a sign unto you: you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger." Listen, God is coming. The king of heaven is coming. The promised Messiah is coming. Uh, let's go to the palace and find him. Let's go to the grandest hotel in the city and find him. Let's go where the crowd's at. Surely they've amassed to welcome and greet him. Watch nations today that still have monarchies and as, as a form of government, whether it's legitimate or whether it's just ceremonial. Uh, and, and look at the fanfare when a new royal child is born. Let's just follow the crowd and we'll find Jesus. No, there was no fanfare. There was just God in the form of an infant lying in a feed trough, wrapped in grave clothes, showing the humility that he would live with. The humility he expects us to live with. The sacrifices that he was willing to make. The extraordinary lengths to which he was willing to go. To save his people from their sins. To show that as he was humbly born, he would be shamefully executed. But he would be gloriously resurrected. And we look at this marvelous announcement and his marvelous arrival, we also see that there was a marvelous reception. He didn't just get greeted by the shepherds and he didn't just get greeted by the animals in the stable. He didn't just get greeted by his, by his mom and dad. He got greeted by the angels. He got greeted by those shepherds. He got greeted by wise men that traveled from afar that understood more than those that grew up around him and understood their beliefs and their, and their scripture more than they had more faith than the people of God had. There was a marvelous announcement, a marvelous arrival, a marvelous reception in his birth. And we see finally this morning that it also was not only a miraculous birth and a marvelous birth, but it's a mysterious birth. Listen, how could you be any more mysterious? Here are two people, a spouse to be married, betrothed to be married to one another. They've never physically been together, but yet she's with child of God. And he's staying with her. And they're rejoicing. And they're accepting what God has chosen for them. And the mystery that unfolded of how God would reach out to those that were lost in their sin and would draw them to himself. It's a mysterious birth and we see uh, that mystery in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. He says, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from his sins. How is he going to do that? Well, it was foretold, but it still had to be executed. The mystery of his path, it's a mysterious path. One that would, as God, live under the authority of human parents. One that, as God, uh, would sit as a teenager uh, and uh, amaze his teachers those, one who as God would, uh, would walk in the filth of this world and would be tempted by the God of this world and would be, uh, would be falsely accused and would be betrayed and would be, uh, would be treated uh, horrifically and beaten and then uh, put upon a cross and died and, and crucified in shame only to be risen from that grave. It's a mysterious path. Listen, the, his path is a mysterious path. Not only that, but the word of God is mysterious. There are so much that we can look there's so much that we can look at and see yes this is what God said and yes this is the fulfillment of it and yes this is what God has promised but how it will be fulfilled and when it will be fulfilled is still a mystery. And the greatest mystery of all is how God could take the Jews and God could take the Gentiles and God could mend what was broken between them and he could bring them together in the Lord Jesus Christ and he could forgive their sin and he could bind them into one church. To serve Him and to glorify Him. It's, a, it's a mis- the mystery of His Word and how God works. The mystery of His plan for you and me. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 speaks of it at the beginning of verse 7 when it says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world into our glory. Which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it was God's will that He be. It was God's plan for His crucifixion. It was God's plan for our redemption. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So many Christians never understand or never are enlightened to the deep things of God because they never embrace the mystery of God's word. And they never interact in the mystery of God's love. And they never embrace the working of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. And we simply absorb the word of God, but we never enact the word of God in our lives. We don't want to stop and take responsibility for our sin. It's easier to blame others. It's it's too hard uh, to let God change our lives. We expect everyone else around us to change. And the reality is is that this birth of Christ is a mysterious birth. His path was mysterious. His word is mysterious. His plan for our lives is mysterious. How could God use us? You stop and you think about it. However many 7 billion, 8 billion people are on the earth right now. How consequential could one life be? The billions that have been conceived since the Garden of Eden... How consequential could one life be? Yet the Bible gives us many accountings. History gives us many accountings of the significance of one soul. I'm saying this morning that I look at myself and I think, God, how in the world? Why would you ever waste your time? And therein lies the mystery. Don't try to understand it. Just embrace it. Embrace his love. Embrace his plan. But, but, Pastor, I have to understand before I can, no, you don't have to understand. You have to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. We have to live the plan out that God has given us. There's the mystery of things to come. Listen, there are things coming that frighten a lot of people. Uh, there are a lot of times that I get frustrated. I'm, honestly, I haven't watched the news since the election. And I'm pretty much a news junkie. There, there are a lot of things that we look at in life, but I'm not fretting about anything. Why? Because God's in control, and I understand fully that in order for God's will to be carried out, things have to get a whole lot worse than they are now. And if God chooses for me to live through that, then God will give me the grace to endure it. And what a special blessing from God to be given such a measure of grace. What a mystery. To watch the things of God, the promises of God, uh, the fulfillment of God's plan for this earth and the coming of a new Jerusalem and a new heaven and the, the being together for all of eternity in his presence, for all of that to come together. What wonderful mysteries are given to us in God's word and in his spirit. Listen, the birth of Jesus is a mysterious birth. The birth of Jesus was a marvelous birth. And the birth of Jesus was a miraculous birth. And there is no day quite like the beginning of the life of our Savior on this earth. May we this morning stop and rejoice in the amazing truth that Jesus came, virgin born, to seek and to save that which was lost. That's you, that's me. He sought us out. Embrace this morning. The opportunity to reflect on what that means. To reflect on the possibilities of God using your life. To reflect upon the possibilities of blessing and power. And then renew your commitment to him. Renew your faith in him. Renew your trust in him. Renew your resolve to let God use you to make a difference in someone else's life. When we do that, we truly celebrate the birth of our Savior. When we do that, we lift up honor and worship a babe in a manger. Because we understand today that he's not just a baby in a manger. But he's also the God of heaven. And he grew up and he became a man. While never relinquishing his godness. And he took on our sin. And he became our sin. And he endured God's wrath. And he paid the price. And then once everything was paid for, he came and found you and he came and found me or he's finding you now and he's knocking on our heart's door and he's inviting us to come and to embrace all that began on that first Christmas so long ago.